Good afternoon, Crossroads. It's great to be with you. We are going to continue this afternoon looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. We just sang about him, worthy is the Lamb. Now we're going to look at the Word of God and see this Jesus. And we, um, I was looking at the text this week and I was actually reminded of uh, the most watched TED Talk of all time. Maybe not the most, I think it's second or third. One of the most top watched TED Talks of all time was by a guy named Simon Sinek. And he based his talk on a book that he wrote called Start With Why. And the argument that he was making basically is that most, most companies know what they do, what they make, what they sell, what their product is. They know how they do that, but very few companies actually know why. Why do we do what we do? It's a book about purpose. It's a talk about purpose. And it's no surprise that a talk like that would go viral. Because as human beings made in the image of God, we all long for purpose. It's not just enough for us to go about our days getting by, just doing what we do and not really knowing why we should be doing it. And actually, this is one of the most beautiful and powerful parts of our faith. Here's what the scriptures tell us, that we serve a God who loves us and created us with purpose. Our faith tells us that, in fact, there are no accidents. Every single person on planet Earth is here for a purpose. No one is random. No one surprised God. It's like, oh, that one, what do we do with him? (laughs) No. But it's not that simple, right? We We all know that. We know that God made us for a purpose, but often we struggle to know what that purpose is. Okay, God, great, you made me with a purpose. I'm for that, here I am. What what do you want me to do? But other times we think, okay, um, I know what my purpose is, but I don't feel like I have the resources or the power to fulfill that purpose. Which brings us to our text today in the Gospel of Luke, in the story of Jesus. Because what we have been talking about for the past month is this Jesus that we all know about. What if his life makes sense of our life? What if his purpose actually shows us ours? So we need to ask the question, how did Jesus understand his purpose on earth? Not what did he do, that's very important. We, a lot of us know what Jesus did. His life, he did miracles, he told parables. His death, that he died upon a Roman cross. His resurrection, that he rose from the dead. His ascension. We know what happened, but do we know why? Why did Jesus come in the first place? Why did Jesus die the way that he did? And why did he raise from the dead in that way? Well, we're going to hear this morning from Luke chapter 4, and we're going to see the closest thing the scriptures have to Jesus' life mission statement. So turn with me to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. 
And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. All right, let me hit pause real quick and make a few comments. We know that some time has passed between what we talked about last week and now. So we we had the baptism, we had the temptation, and now we have this scene where Jesus is going to his hometown. There's probably been at least a year of ministry. Jesus has developed a reputation as a great preacher, and Jesus has done some miracles, so his name is starting to get out there. So it's no surprise, he goes to his hometown, He gets to the synagogue, which he does every single week to hear the scriptures, and they say, Jesus, why don't you read the scriptures tonight? You're kind of a preacher guy now, aren't you? You went off, you're all big shot now. You read the scriptures, you give the sermon. Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So Jesus takes the scroll, and he is going to unroll the scroll almost to the very end of the text. He's going to end up at Isaiah 61. And Jesus, remember, he's standing before the people who know him best, his family, his friends, his boys that he grew up with in the neighborhood. They're all sitting out here. And this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this would have been a really familiar text. People would have been nodding their heads. Yes, we know about this famous prophecy from Isaiah, the one that tells us that God's servant, his Messiah, will come. And when he comes, he is going to bring freedom. He is going to bring healing to the poor and the oppressed and the blind. And you can imagine the crowd at this point, they're all nodding their heads. Mm Mm-hmm, sounds good. I'm here for that type of healing. Yep, freedom, yep, here we are. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant. This is hilarious. I find this hilarious and I find this, feel the tension building. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. You feel the tension? Jesus is about to give the best one-line sermon in human history. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So the sermon was done. There was no intro. There was no conclusions. There were not three points. There were no illustrations. Jesus says, today, right now, in your midst, this is fulfilled in me. I am the sermon. My life is the sermon. We don't need to say any more. This, what you have been waiting for, is here in me. And you can imagine the crowd, they don't know how to react. I imagine them with a slow clap at first, like, yeah, Jesus, you really got clever. You went away. You got smart on us. Like, that was deep. 
Like that was really profound what you just did, Jesus. And they kind of marvel at him. But then the whispers start to brew. Wait a minute. Isn't this Joe the carpenter's son? The guy that we used to play with in the street? That, that's, this is the same Jesus? Is this the same Jesus that made our kitchen table like, you know, uh, six years ago? I think he repaired my chair that one time. Wait, is this the same Jesus, Joseph's son? Verse 23, he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So despite their initial approval, Jesus knew that they didn't really understand him. So they say, Jesus, okay, great. That was clever and all, but we need a sign. <laughs> We're going to need something more from you, Jesus, if you're going to want us to believe this whole Messiah thing. Verse 24, so he said to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So what Jesus here is, he's drawing on, Jesus is doing is he's drawing on two Old Testament passages to reveal their blindness. He's saying, guys, do you remember the time of um, Zarephath, when there was that widow who lived there and there was this famine and Elijah was sent to her and he, uh, Elijah miraculously fed her and helped her. Remember how she was not of the people of God. She was not a Jew. She was a foreigner. She was an outsider. Remember her? And then he says, oh yeah, and do you remember Naaman? Remember Naaman, how he was the enemy of God's people. He was the general of our enemies. Remember him? And remember how Elisha went to him, or he came to Elisha, and Elisha healed him? One rich, one poor, both foreigners, both outsiders to the ways of God. And Jesus said, these two people who were far from God received from God, while the people of God who were around in that day missed him. And he says, you're in danger of doing the same thing. story's going to take a turn here. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So we can say that escalated very quickly. It starts with the applause and the, the nodding of approval at Jesus' words. And the thing ends with them trying to throw Jesus off a cliff. And you say, what happened in the stretch of just a few minutes to get them so fired up? We're going to unpack that a little bit as we look at Jesus' purpose. As I said, this text gives us a very clear picture of Jesus's life purpose as he understood it. Not as we look at him, but he, how he self-identified. Here is what I am here to do in my life, in my death, in my resurrection. Here is what I've come to accomplish. So we're going to say, okay, what was that purpose? And we're going to say, how does that purpose affect us today? 
First, Jesus' purpose. He, Jesus opens up to Isaiah 61, and he basically reads a very short passage of scripture and says, this is me. What do these verses actually tell us? They tell us, first and foremost, Jesus was filled and sent by the Holy Spirit. I need to point that out because Luke keep point, keeps pointing that out. If you've noticed every story thus far, he's pointing out the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, this is the Spirit's leading sending. To do what? To proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim sight to the blind, to proclaim the Lord's favor, and to free the oppressed. And you say, oh, that sounds good. What exactly is he talking about? And this has been actually a huge debate uh, in the last 100 years of the church and in missions. Right? There's this massive debate to say, okay, wait a minute. Is Jesus talking literally or figuratively, metaphorically? Like, are we talking about Jesus literally feeding hungry people with bread? Or is he talking about the spiritually hungry that we're going to feed with the gospel? Is he talking about people who... Um, are oppressed politically and need freedom? Or are we talking here about people who are spiritually oppressed and need freedom? Do you see the, the tension we, we, we've kind of built into these, these passages? What is Jesus actually getting at here? And these are important questions. Don't get me wrong. But they are very modern questions. In fact, when we look at the scriptures, and we look at the life of Jesus, he never separates the two. He's going to say, your spiritual realities and your physical realities go together. We can't rip them apart. And the clearest way to understand this is to just see what Jesus did, right? Jesus says something in this passage, and then if we were to keep reading the rest of the chapter, we're going to see him do some things. And Luke is trying to say, see, here's what he said, here's what he did. We're going to see him going and teaching with authority. He's going to teach about the kingdom of God. He's going to teach about the gospel. He's going to say, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is here. He's got a message to proclaim to people. And then we're going to see him in the very next scene, healing the sick and casting out demons. He's going to hold these two things together. So what was Jesus' purpose? Well, a couple things. His purpose was proclaimed and demonstrated. He proclaimed and demonstrated the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, hey, I'm here to proclaim the kingdom to you. He was a megaphone and a signpost, meaning he was here to raise his voice so all could hear about the kingdom of God and all could come and find forgiveness and grace and hope and love and the message. He wanted everyone to hear it, a megaphone. But the other, point, sign, other side, he was a signpost where his life was pointing to another reality. His life was pointing to the future of the kingdom of God. So if you looked at Jesus and what he did, they said, that's what the kingdom of God is going to be like. So when he healed people, he said, one day there's going to be no sickness. When he casts out demons, he was saying, listen, there's a future where evil is gone. The evil one is destroyed. And it's important when we look at Jesus' miracles, these were not like magic shows, right? Just to like put on a show. 
If that were the case, Jesus would have done very different miracles. Jesus would have been flying around the room, be like, whoa, look at Jesus, he's flying, that's amazing. That's not what he does. His miracles are signs of the future kingdom, showing us what our lives will be like one day when he reigns. So he proclaimed the kingdom, but he also demonstrated the kingdom with his life. But he also, in his purpose, he addressed the, the spiritual and the physical. We see Jesus feeding the hungry. We, we see Jesus healing the sick. We see Jesus caring for the marginalized, but he always went one step deeper. He knew that our needs uh, were not just physical, but they're actually needs of the heart, right? Like he wanted to address physical needs. We can't look, read the gospels and not see that. Jesus really fed hungry people with real bread, but he always wanted to take it one step further. And it reminded me of the book, The um, Voyage of the John Shredder by C.S. Lewis. Um, this is one of my favorite books in the Narnia series. And there's this amazing scene. Stay with me just for like five minutes on this illustration. You guys like children's books? No, not really. Okay, it's fine. Um, <laughs> me neither. It's boring. Okay. Um, so in The Voyage of the John Shredder, there is this boy named Eustace. Nobody likes Eustace. And in fact, he doesn't like anybody else either. He's a brat. He's selfish. He's mean. He's arrogant. And somehow he gets swept up in this grand adventure where he finds himself on a ship and they're visiting all these islands. He's on this big mission. He kind of gets all swept up in it, but he's still this brat at heart. They land at this one island and Eustace kind of wanders off and everyone was kind of glad that he just left. And he goes and he, he wanders into a cave full of treasure. And he's in this cave full of treasure and he is like, woo, like finally, I am rich. I'm, you know, his little um, greedy heart was about to explode. He's like, I'm gonna be rich and I'm gonna stick it to all you, you know, people who doubted me. And he falls asleep on the treasure, but it turns out to be a dragon's treasure and it turns out to be magical. And he ends up turning into a dragon. So he wakes up and he's covered with, you know, deep scales and he's got wings and he's got, and he's a little dragon. And he realizes, it realizes that in his, despair, in his despair, that his life is over. <laughs> there's no getting back on the ship. There's no going home. There's nothing left for him. He is now a dragon. And that's when, in fact, Aslan, who is the Christ figure in this story, finds him. And the, Aslan, the lion, basically looks at Eustace and says, okay, Eustace, I'm gonna need you to take the dragon off and jump in this pool of water. And so Eustace, he starts taking his claws and starts gnawing off all the flesh of the dragon, or at least trying to. He's biting and he's scratching and it's painful. But every, um, every uh, skin that comes off, there's one underneath. And he keeps digging and there's one underneath and there's one underneath and one underneath. And eventually he falls over and he's despondent and he can't do anymore. And Aslan looks at him and says, you're going to have to let me go deeper. And of course, Aslan was a lion. He had these deep, big claws. And this is the way Eustace says it. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. 
Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that for much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. <laughs> as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. Then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. So you can say with somebody like Eustace, what was his problem? His scales or his heart? Aslan had to address both. Right? He had to heal his flesh and he had to change his heart back to a boy's heart. And we see this pattern in Jesus' life where he's going to address the physical, he's going to address the outside, he's going to tear through the, the outer edges of our lives that we all have, our real needs that we have, but he's always going to go deeper and he's going to pierce our hearts. He wants to bring healing to our external and healing in the heart. It reminded me of a guy named Jean-Paul Helt, who was a French doctor and missiologist who did work all over the developing world, and he worked with the eyes. And um, in one of his articles, he talks about when he was going into these developing countries, he noticed the problem of night blindness in children. So basically, in dim light, these kids could not see. And he began to explore, like, how can we help these kids see? How do we address this problem? And he said, basically, it's a vitamin A deficiency. That on the surface, that is what the problem, but as we go deeper, we see, well, the vitamin A deficiency is a result of malnutrition. And they said, but we couldn't stop there. We had to go deeper, and the malnutrition comes from the context of poverty where there were unjust labor laws and inequitable land distribution and unfair wage structures. And he said, but honestly, I couldn't even stop there. I had to look deeper. There was more. The social injustices were a result of a deep moral and spiritual rot in the community. So we asked the question, how do we solve night blindness? And he said, yes, we need vitamin A, vitamin A drops for the kids. But we also have to address malnutrition, poverty, social injustice, and the greed and selfishness of the human heart. So was the problem physical, economic, social, spiritual? All of the above in the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses all of them. The gospel of Jesus must never be abstracted from the real struggles of people. Jesus is going to meet us where we are in our real needs, and he's going to take us deeper, and he's going to, want, he's going to show us the range and the depth of his salvation and his grace and his love. Second, third, excuse me, we're going to see that Jesus' purpose dealt with the present and it dealt with the future. This is amazing. Jesus, his sermon begins with the word today. Today, this scripture is fulfilled, meaning, hey, I know that you guys make a lot of the prophecies in the past. I fulfilled them. And I know that we have a great hope in the future. Yes, that is coming. But I'm telling you that there's something for you right here today. This has been fulfilled right this very Seconds. And when we look at Jesus' ministry, we, we see that we're going to need to both zoom in at a personal 
immediate level, meaning the kingdom of God is relevant and active right here in right, right now in this very room in Bay Ridge, in Brooklyn, New York City, the kingdom of God is alive and well, and there's life transforming power for you right now. There's forgiveness of sin. There's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's a mission and a purpose right now. But we're also going to need to zoom out and say that, yes, the gospel addresses our sin problem, but also the gospel is eventually going to restore all of creation, right? Jesus is like, literally, we're going to free everyone who's oppressed, right? One day, the world that we live in, sin is going to be no more. There's going to be no more weeping, no more tears, no more sin, no more brokenness. We're going to restore the whole thing. So we zoom out and we zoom in and then we zoom out again. And that's the purpose of Jesus. It's present and it's future. It's physical and it's spiritual. He proclaimed it and he demonstrated it with his life. And you say, okay, well, that doesn't sound so bad. What, what happened to the people in the story, right? The ones who were all about him, marveling at his words and then tried to kill him. Well, we're gonna see in this passage and all throughout the Gospel of Luke, there are several groups that receive much from Jesus, and there are several groups that miss him altogether. Right, there were people here in this story, and as we keep reading in the chapter, who received forgiveness and freedom and healing and grace and purpose, and there were those who completely missed him and tried to throw him off a cliff. So who were those groups? First, we had the familiar. And this is a very uncomfortable one for us uh, to talk, as church people to talk about. Ultimately, the people enjoyed the sermon, but they missed the Savior. They said, is not this Joseph's son? <laughs> is not this Joseph's son? Come on, guys, this was Jesus. I mean, come on. I mean, don't you remember Jesus? He's a wee guy. I mean, he's out there on the streets. This is Joseph's son. We know him. We grew up with him. We're familiar with him. And because of their familiarity, they missed who he really was. And the same thing can be true for us. We're so familiar with Jesus, we miss his power. We miss who he really is. Because we're like, I know Jesus. I mean, come on, I've been in church all my life. My parents told me about Jesus. My grandparents told me about Jesus. I, everything you're saying, I've heard about Jesus before. And we're so familiar that we actually miss him. They were in the presence of someone and something spectacular, and they did not recognize it. In 2007, the Washington Post did an experiment. They hired a guy named Joshua Bell, who was one of the greatest violinists in the world. And they set him up in the DC Metro station at rush hour. They put a hat on him. They had him dressed in street clothes. They had him put his violin out in, in front of him like a busker. And they had him play uh, for 45 minutes one of the most difficult violin pieces ever written. And he was playing it on a $3 million Stradivarius violin. And so Joshua Bell played his heart out for 45 minutes. And they wanted to see, would anyone notice or would everybody be so preoccupied and busy in a rush, they just move right on by him. And in fact, they found out that a few people threw some money in, but almost to the person, every single 
one just walked right on by. They were in the presence of one of the greatest musicians in the world. He had just sold out an entire theater in Boston the night before. And they missed him. They're just like, we're busy. We're going places. We got things to do. And this is what happens, unfortunately, in the church very, very often. We're, we're too familiar. We miss him. We don't expect him to do anything. We don't expect him to move. We don't see him for who he is because we have this, this view that eh, we know everything. So I wonder this afternoon for us if we just might break the, the, the shell of our familiarity and allow Jesus to surprise us. Just to open our hands and be like, hey, I'm, I want to meet with the real Jesus today. I don't want to miss him. I don't want to be so busy and preoccupied and so familiar that I don't see something spectacular that's right in front of me. So we had the familiar. They missed Jesus. But we also had the religious. And um, ultimately, this was what caused the people to want to throw Jesus over a cliff. It was these religious impulses that they had. You see, when, Jesus, when they thought Jesus was talking about them, they were all for it. When they thought they were the good guys, the religious people, the spiritual people, they were like, yes, sign us up, Jesus. This sounds great. Freeing the oppressed, we're oppressed by Rome. Mm-hmm. Healing, those are sick. Yeah, all day long. We're here for that. But then Jesus starts to broaden the scope and he's like, no, 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 remember all these people and they were not the people of God and actually I've come even for your enemies and we're gonna broaden this whole salvation thing beyond this room and Nazareth and the Jews and we're gonna go global with this thing. It's not just about you. And all of a sudden, when they realized this was not just about them, they became very angry. Why? They didn't want God for who he was. They wanted to use God, right? That's what the religious do. And that's their problem. That's why they miss Jesus. They're not here for what, who Jesus really is. They're here for what Jesus can do for them, right? I'm here because I want Jesus to bless me. I want to live a blessed life. I want my kids to be blessed. I want to have everything that I need. So I'll do the religious thing. And God, you owe me. And then as soon as God starts explaining this thing about grace, where outsiders and people who don't deserve it and people who were hurt and suffering who were not you are getting this, the grace of the gospel, they get angry. So the way that we miss Jesus tonight with religion is saying, is by using him rather than delighting in him. We, that song we sang, was just, it's, it's perfect. What a beautiful name. He's beautiful to us. He's wonderful to us. He, he, we are filled with adoration and wonder. How wonderful is his name? Not just how useful. What a useful name it is. What a useful name it is. No. God, what can you do? What have you done for me lately? Oh, what a beautiful name. What a wonderful name. What a powerful name. But there is one group that get more than they bargained for from Jesus. And that is the needy. The needy. As I said, in the rest of the passage, we're going to see Jesus teaching, healing, casting out demons. And there's one thing in common among every person who encounters Jesus for who he is, and that is need. 
they come to Jesus needy. We first have to identify with those who come to Jesus and are getting the healing. I think sometimes we read a text like this and we think, okay, Jesus' purpose, feed the, you know, feed the hungry, heal the oppressed, you know, heal the, the sick and free the oppressed. We're like, yes, let's go, let's do it. And we think we're Jesus. Instead of being like, what if I'm actually, before I'm that, I'm the one in need of healing? What if I'm the one in need of my eyes being opened? What if I'm the one in need of freedom? What if we need to receive the life of God before we can give it out to the world? So when we look at Jesus' purpose and how it affects us, the first way it does that is by saying, I have to receive from Jesus. I need his forgiveness for my sins. I need his healing. I need his freedom. I need him to move in my life, in my heart. I need him to be first in my life. And then once we receive that life of God, then we're able to go out into the world and give it. So I wonder this evening, this afternoon, if you would be willing to come to Jesus needy. Part of our our biggest spiritual obstacle is our self-sufficiency. I can handle it. I can do it. I don't need anyone else. I am smart. I am capable. I got this. So we never actually come to Jesus with need to say, I'm broken. (laughs) I'm sinful. I am struggling. And that is where Jesus does his best work among us. That's the only way we come to him. We don't come to him with our own righteousness. We come to him with our unrighteousness and he clothes us in his. We don't come to him with our strength. We come to him with our weakness and he bestows his strength strength upon us. We come to him with our sin and he lavishes us with grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's the gospel. And that's that's the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus that he lived in our place and he died in our place and he rose on our, on our behalf and giving us new life. Not because we had it all together, but because we didn't. And when we come to him in that way, we will find all that he has to offer. We're gonna find the God of the universe leaning in. So this afternoon, I wonder as we respond together, if we might just with open hands, bring our needs to Jesus. To maybe confess our familiarity, our casual familiarity with the God of the universe. I wonder if we might confess that we have been, um, we've had a stone-hearted religious response to God. I'm using God to get what I need. We might say, I don't wanna use you anymore, God. I want to delight in you. And we come to God with our need and we receive everything he has for us. So let's pray together. Father, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. He has no rival. He has no equal. So God, we come to you this afternoon honestly, not with our religious charade on, not with this over-familiar attitude, this casualness. 
but we come to you expecting. We want all that you have for us. We want to see Jesus as he really is. The one who's come to open blind eyes and free the oppressed. To heal the sick, feed the hungry. We want to be those who receive the grace of God. We want to be those who give it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.